0: Okay, look, we're back to David and Goliath for number three. 1 Samuel seventeen forty-five to 46. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. The day, this day the Lord will give you over to me and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. It's, a, it's fighting talk, isn't it? Uh, it's in the Bible and it's pertinent look it's a well known story and this is our third time we're looking at it the first time we did the exegesis we looked at what the text means we're now looking at what it means for us last time we looked at the kingdom needs people who are passionate for God's honour we said that hey get passionate seriously I've seen you guys get passionate at sporting events some of you do that for Jesus Seriously, get passionate. And today, the second one, we're going to look at those four, uh, the most important being the last one. Today, we're looking at the kingdom needs people willing to use their skill sets. The kingdom needs people willing to use their skill sets. Let me ask you a question off the bat. Okay. How did David overcome Goliath? Seasoned warrior large in size. Everyone else cowered at his word. How did David defeat him? Yes, he did that. And that was... He did that. I'm going to come to that in a second. But even before that, was the one you should never miss, how did he manage to defeat this big guy? Yes, you got it there. Thank you very much. Did you say the same thing? You were just copying her, weren't you? Okay. Yes. Absolutely, off the bat, first and foremost, he said to me, I read the verse, didn't I? You come against me, sword and sword. how do I come against you? With God. Okay, off the bat, David defeated Goliath because he, God's spirit was upon him. He was God's anointed. But, there's a human aspect to his victory. And it's what Sarah said. Sarah said, it was... He's used his skills. And we've got to remember that. He God was with him. God gave him victory. But God gave him victory through the sling. He can't get away from that. He was the sling and later the sword. And it's what we're looking at. So here's the order. First of all, the first reason that David defeated Goliath was that David was God's anointed. Look, 1 Samuel 16 tells us, The Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power when Samuel anointed him. That anointing gave him God's blessing on whatever he did, gave him God's power, gave him assurance that God would give him victory in whatever he does. It's what he said of Saul. When Saul was anointed, similarly, God said in 1 Samuel 10, that do whatever you find to do, Samuel said to him, For God is with you. David knows that God's spirit is upon him, and whatever he engages in, in his name, God will give him the victory. Moreover, David already knows, as God's anointed, that Goliath is from a defeated foe. God had banished them from the land, and therefore, he knows it's God who will help him. So the the passage we quoted earlier, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. So initially, we've got to say this. The reason David defeats Goliath is because he's anointed by God. He possesses God's spirit. God supports him. And off the bat, he was was always going to win. Off the bat, David was always going to win this battle. Secondly, though, secondly, so... I'm going to give you the application at the end, but secondly, although David, also although Goliath was big, he wasn't that big. I think we've got to remember this here. You know, there's, those kiddies' pictures, junior church pictures, rip them out. They, they they don't illustrate the truth of the text. Okay, he was big. He's big. But he's not as big as we think he is. And look, another text here, look, here's text uh, four to seven, a champion named Goliath who was from Gath came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. Look, I haven't got time to do this right now. You have to come in the theology course. But textual with there's variations in the text and some figures occasionally get mishandled and, and the more reliable manuscripts put his height at less than seven feet less than seven feet which all of a sudden can you see what that does? it means he's big but not that big okay he's big but not that big so you know get out of your mind this giant okay the, the, the other manuscripts say he was below seven feet a big guy but not a giant not only that he says David is a youth what are you thinking when you think of youth? you're thinking of me aren't you? what are you thinking what are you thinking youth a little lad Malachi the Hebrew word uh, Malachi tally, uh, the Hebrew word for youth describes a guy up to the age of 30 ok he's a man ok he's a man so he's not a youth not only is he, is he a man this is another thing how big do you think David was no no way Absolutely not, sorry mate. Absolutely wasn't. And I you know how I know that? Okay, why is Tally so big? Because his brothers so big. Okay? Why is his brother? Why is Miranda so big? Because her brothers so big. How big were David's brothers? They were big guys. 1 Samuel 16. Remember when remember when Samuel went there? What did he who did he want to anoint? The big brother. It's David belong to a family of big brothers, which almost certainly, in, in, except in exceptional cases, means David would have been himself a big guy. So we have uh, up to a 30 year old, fairly big guy taking on a very big guy. Can you see what that does to the battle? David has got a chance here. We have uh, the text isn't telling us this is impossible. No, David has got a chance. He's even the more chance than that. What were David's skill set? What were David's skill set? Have a guess. What were David's skill set? What was included in his skill set? Yes, Sarah. Good, good, good lady. He called you a girl. Yeah, good girl. Yeah. He, he's not just good with a sling. Listen to this, chapter 16. He's a brave man and a warrior. warrior. That term warrior is from the word war. He's a brave man and man of war. He's a warrior. He, he can handle a sword. He's a trained killer. Seriously guys. This is a little chap who's 40 years old going up against his giant. He's a big strapping man who's a skilled warrior I'm an expert at other the things we're gonna see. So can you see what the picture we're getting here? This is David's got every chance of beating this guy. My, my. I know, sorry, sorry Julie, I know, I know, and especially for Sunday school teachers. Okay? So can you see the picture here? This is a combat between two foals, when one is less than the other, but not significantly less. Okay? One is less than the other, but not significantly less. Moreover, he is brilliant with a sword. He really is a skilled warrior. Because he's... what does he do to Goliath's head? Okay. Have you tried decapitation recently? Okay. It's not an easy thing to do. I tried it on my chicken. Well, there you go. I couldn't do it. it. Okay, it's not an easy thing to do. To decapitate a human head takes a lot of skill. I'm not talking from experience. Okay, you ask Jerry. Okay, uh, it takes a lot of skill. Not only that, how heavy do you think Goliath's sword was? Being such a big guy, heavy, for David to cut off Goliath's head with, with a sword that was pretty hefty, to wield the sword that well on the battle conditions. Well, this guy wasn't dead when he knocked him over; he was just unconscious. Look at the pressure for him to chop off his head that demonstrates expertise with a sword and some strength to pick up another man's sword which is much heavier than David would have trained with and to decapitate this man. Do you get what I'm saying here? This is a battle that David has every chance of winning. I had a friend in, uh, in Flint, my last church, and uh, we were doing our house up. I got a lot of people to help me too if you know, we do this kind of stuff as Christians. And I got this one guy, big strapping fella, and I thought he'd be good at knocking down this dividing wall. I gave him a hammer. <laughs> I, I'm not going to mention his name. <laughs> and I was just thinking, goodness sake, look at look at him, man. He doesn't even know how to use a hammer. Okay? David wasn't like that. You gave David a hammer, he'd knock your house down. Okay, that's the point here. He's a seasoned warrior, an expert with the sword. Okay, a, a man of war who was a good size, who wasn't a kid, and point C. David was a I'm kind of twitched on this already, a skillful killer. Listen to what he says. When when I was looking after the sheep, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me. A bear and a lion, I seized it by his hair, struck it and killed it, the lion and the bear. You didn't know recently? you ever tried fighting a bear? I know we think of bears as being nice things. I watched a movie recently based on truth when he mauled a couple camping in Canada. They didn't stand a chance. A bear is a formidable, formidable creature. For David to take him on, what does it tell you about David? Boy, right. you want to be scared of somebody? You get scared of David, mate. And a lion. Can you imagine? I mean, I, don't, I can't think of a single story of a human to doing. I know there's obviously Samson, but you know, in my time, you know, someone taking on a lion face to face. They're not called king of the jungle for no reason. Can you see, for David to kill a predator of this nature with such ease tells you that we have in David an incredibly courageous man of sizable proportions who is skilled and who is a danger to both beast and man. That's David. A danger to both beast and man moreover not only is he a skilled warrior with a sword ok he is brilliant with what? he is brilliant with a sling absolutely in fact it's, it's, it's his weapon of choice David had a choice what weapon to use in this combat he chose as his first and foremost weapon his weapon of choice was a sling And you, might not, you may or may not know this He's a Benjamite. The Benjamites were renowned for going into war with slings. That's why he's using a sling. It's what his, it's what his family did. The Benjamites used slings. They were in the, in the battalion. They used slings in warfare. And so, so he's a guy who's, who's using the, the, the weapon of his choice. And these are not toys. I know sometimes you might think, you know, it's what you make for your little grandkids. I used to make catapults when I was a kid. Yeah, you know, to shoot little bottle bottles and stuff, and we sometimes imagine a sling is one of those things you make for your kids. Do you know it's a weapon of war? A Roman soldier is documented. A Roman soldier could could completely remove a, a person's skull in half through using one of these things in warfare. That's that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a choice weapon of warfare. Okay, so this, so you, you get the picture now. What are you thinking about David? What chance do you think David stands in this battle? A lot, better. A lot better. In fact, okay, in fact, look what he does. I want to show you some of his, some of his expertise here. He goes down to the brook, okay, and what does he do? Before, what's, what's the What does he do? There's five stones in the river, and David chooses... Five stones. What's that telling you? You have to read the Bible carefully. What's that telling you? That he goes to a river and he chooses five smooth stones. What's that telling you about David and his skill set? Pardon? Yeah, he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. He goes to a river, okay, and he chooses... That, what do I tell you? Here's a guy who knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly the type of stone he needs. He's a seasoned, seasoned, skilled person with this with with this uh, implement, this tool, and he chooses carefully, thoughtfully the very best stones to put in his sling. David has thought about how he's going to take on Goliath. He hasn't just turned up to King Saul. Oh, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll kill him. He's thought it through. and and he knows he's going to use his sling and and why do you think he's chosen the sling remember he's good with the sword he's a warrior why has he chosen the sling yes it gives him the advantage look if I'm going to go into battle with somebody even if I think I'll, I'll stand a reasonable chance you know what I'm going to be thinking I'm going to be thinking what battle scenario gives me the advantage and so David knows look here's the thing I want to say something to you David had every chance with Goliath hand to hand because everything I said to you this morning, David had every chance with Goliath hand to hand. But because he's a clever kid, he, he wants to make sure the odds are in his favour. And so he chooses a weapon which would give him the, the, the best advantage. Goliath thinks he's good at close to hand close to hand combat. That's what Goliath wants. So what does David do? See? I'll choose how we fight here, mate. And so he chooses a sling. It gives him a, a stupendous advantage of, of being able to apprehend Goliath even before Goliath can draw his sword out. Even before... Remember we said that the speed of these things was between 100 and 200 kph. That's right. you've got a missile up to the size of a tennis ball that they could, you throw them that big going up to 200 kilometers an hour and and a typical distance would have been 200 meters so david now is going against goliath with a missile that flies at 200k okay and goliath can't get within 200 meters of him who's got the advantage david do you get the picture he's not going to lose this he's not going to lose this thing David goes into a sword fight armed with a gun. You see that? David, you see that? Do you know Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yeah. You remember, remember the scene I'm thinking of? Yeah, he goes up against this guy with his sword and he's doing all this fancy stuff with his sword. And what, is, what does Harrison Ford do? That's exactly what we got here. You got Goliath dancing with his mighty sword, and David just goes, It's exactly what we got here. David goes into this situation as the heads-on favorite. You have to get that message. That's the message of David and Goliath. Which tells you, and I can't deal with this today, there was an issue with the with the army, an issue of morale. And a lot of other issues. Okay, Saul should have done this job. Saul was up for the job too. Okay, the story of David and Goliath is there's an issue in the camp. Okay, because this was a very winnable victory, and so David goes up, on, up against him. He's it's day it's Goliath, not David, who's doomed at the outset. And so the point is this: the kingdom needs people willing to use their skill sets. That's what we learn here. It's what we learn here. Our primary message is coming in a couple of weeks. It's Jesus. But here's what we learn here, is that the kingdom needs people like David who are prepared to use their gifts, to use their skills, to be single-minded. Whatever else anybody else is doing, you know the worst thing for morale, sapping, uh, and it's, it's what, what nobody in the army went. What's the worst thing for morale sapping? Is that nobody wants to go. Nobody wants to go. The king doesn't want to go. Well, I'm not going to go. Well, I'm not going to go. Well, I'm not going to go. What does the kingdom need? It needs one person like David to say, I'll go. And what did they, they do? What did the rest of the army do when David knocked him down? All of a sudden, they could fight. OK? All of a sudden, and so, here's what the church needs, friends. It needs one person in the congregation to say, I don't care what everybody else is doing, I'm going to do it. It needs one person in the congregation to stand up and do something even if nobody else is doing. Hey, number one thing, stop looking around. It doesn't matter if Jack is sitting down. You do it! And you may inspire Jack. Do you see the point? You do number one is that hey, whatever else anybody else is doing, you serve the kingdom. You may be the one person who turns the whole thing around. And here's the thing about our service. You've got blood in your you see you got your blood runs with service written in it. Because when you and I were converted, Jesus says our conversion was for the purpose, other things as well. But a key purpose was to serve. God saved you because he wanted you to do stuff. Here's the text, Ephesians 2.10. are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, created in Christ Jesus, made for this purpose, to do good things, to do good works, works that God has prepared for us. Hey guys, why is this church so annoying? You turn up here and you want to do what all the big churches do and you just have to sit down and enjoy the singing. But you turn up here and they make you do things, don't they? You're not getting away with it either, Michelle. <laughs> Seriously. And that's because that's why you were saved. Seriously, our salvation wasn't to join a cruise ship and have a holiday. I know we th- look that's coming that's heaven that's the cruise ship this is a battleship and it needs you and it needs me and it needs Jack and Jenny at the helm doing stuff because we were made to do stuff we were saved to serve him and in Romans the passage that Pete read you know we'll get to that didn't you the middle section it gives us a list of some of the things we should be doing this is how we're David this is how we turn up and say I don't care what he's doing I'm doing this. Okay? Uh, look at Romans twelve six to 8 I won't read the list just yet because I'm going to go through it, but there's put the list up, please, Greg, for me. There's the list. Do you know it's a lie that you're no good at anything? It's a lie that you're no good at moving chairs. It's a lie that you don't have anything to offer because you've got... Can I say this? And I say it on the foundation of Jesus and his church, the Living Word Bible Church and the members that we have presently possess all the gifts and skills that we need to prosper. Seriously. Within our members is everything that we need to prosper as a church. Even if we didn't grow with a single extra person, we have everything we need in the members that we have to run this ship well for Jesus. That's That's the point here. That's the point here. Let me run through the list. Romans 10, verse 6 to 8. Okay, verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. The Bible's in gibberish. You have to understand. If you don't understand that, you're a fool. The Bible is a very hard book to understand. And this verse doesn't sound like what I'm going to say, what it's, what it's saying. That verse is saying you have to be spirit-filled. Okay, I haven't got time to deal with all the exegesis, it's what it means. I'll give you one commentator just to save save my breath. A prophet is not to be governed by emotions, this is a commentator on this verse, or by love of speaking, okay, but by dependence on the Spirit of God. He uses his, his. this specific expression only in connection with prophesying, but there is no reason to suppose that Paul is not intending to apply to the other items as well. In other words, what he's saying is that verse verse means that you have to be filled with the Spirit to serve God. And although it's it's only applied to prophecy, you have to read it in such a way that Paul is expecting you to filter it down to every gift. Every gift of God is a charismatic... I can't go into it all now, but it's a gift of the Spirit... And it has to be used by God's spirit. It has to be used by people who are filled with God's spirit. So, number one thing, the same with David, the first thing you bring to Living Word Church, the reason why you're so useful to Living Word Church, the reason Living Word Church needs you, is that God has filled you with His spirit to serve this church. That's the point of Ephesians. It's what David teaches us as a secondary teaching: is that you are filled with God's spirit. You are God's anointed. You are a man or a woman anointed by God to serve this church. And here's how we serve. Let me go through the list very, very quickly, okay? Prophecy. Hey, if God lays a word on your heart, we want to hear it. Come and speak to me. We don't put out the Spirit's fire here. If you've got a word God's put on your heart, come and speak to me. We want to hear what God is saying to his church. And if you have a gift of being able to speak about things to God's church. We want to hear that. Do it. Service, okay? That's what the roster is about, it's back there. I know it's like the bane of our lives, isn't it? And who wants to be on it? Boy, it's hard feeling that sometimes. But that's about service. You're meant to be on there. If your name is not on there, why not? Okay, look, forgive me. You know, we can't all do those things, and you may be doing something else not on the roster. You're excused. But it's good to have your name on the roster because we're called to serve. And can I say this? You know, when you see your name on there, when you look at the sheet on Saturday or whenever you look at it, and your name's up there, rejoice! Seriously. Be happy. Get excited. Prepare. Get a bed early. Pray extra. Seriously. Rejoice in that because you're called to do it. Teaching. Junior church. Catherine's in there. We've got Denise here and other people who are helping junior church. And Ricky, junior church teachers, apologists. Well, Katie's going to do that next week for us. Preachers. God has gifted you for the task. Preach the word. Do it. exhorters and encouragers. Hey, we need you. We need you encouragers and exhorters. I need you. You know what people say to me sometimes? I have a laugh quietly behind my mask. Say, Montez, I, you know, I don't want you to get a big head, but I really enjoy the sermon. <laughs> and I'm thinking. You have no idea, do you? You have no idea how much a minister has to contend with, how much brings him down, how much kicks him down, how much keeps him down there. You don't worry about me getting a big head. Okay, seriously. Say the good stuff. Say them to each other. We need them. I said some nice things to Lee after saying ten horrible things to Lee this morning. Okay? We need that. And if you're an encourager, do it please contributors and givers hey it's about giving money look it's an established Old Testament principle that we give at least 10% of our incomes at least that but some here are called to give beyond tithing do you know that? that's what Paul is saying here for some of you it's got to be more than tithing as much as God has blessed you, so we to give. There is a famous preacher, Rick Warren, you know him, he wrote The Purpose Driven Life. Do you know what he does? I said this before, do you know what he does? He does reverse tithing. You know that, did you Graham? Do you know what reverse tithing is? Have a guess. Yeah, he gives ninety percent and lives off ten percent. I wonder if some of us don't even give ten, let alone ninety. Paul says here, hey, be spirit-filled and give. Lead. You know, in some circles, everybody wants to be a chief and nobody wants to be an Indian. Okay? That's not the case here because there's only one Indian. Okay? <laughs> we don't have this issue here of everybody wanting to be a chief. The issue here is we need more, uh, we, we need more chiefs. We need more leaders. We need more people who want to say, "Hey, Taz, I want to do that. I want to lead that ministry. Do it seriously. Lead. Be Spirit-filled and lead with passion." And the last one, acts of mercy. It's ministering to those in need, and it's to be done cheerfully and not begrudgingly. Do you know what I thought was beautiful? Is how the church here helped more again. And you know, I thought it was absolutely beautiful God bless you she's our sister you owe you more to more like than you do to your own sibling because she's your spiritual sister Okay, and she hasn't got a lot of people to help her although she did most a lot of people in the end and the fact that we did that it's, that's this that's what you did you just did what Paul said God bless you okay? it was an act of mercy to a lady a sister of ours in need and you did it beautifully skillfully you know, I I just sit back sometimes. I did as little as possible, you know, and I used to just watch, and I was just uh, I was just blessed to to think to think here's my church. You know, you know the church of God has given me oversight over being church. You know, that was a blessing to see. God bless you. Do it the next time somebody needs help. I think that'll be us next, I think. <laughs> okay, so do it. You know, Whoever needs it, do it. Acts of mercy. I've got to finish. So look, the kingdom needs people willing to use their skill sets. And to be the bane of your lives, to make sure that happens. Because, hey, we can all just sit back in our laurels. To be the bane of your lives and to make sure we all do what we're meant to be doing, guess what God has given his church? Little people, sometimes big people, like me. That's my job. Listen, Ephesians four eleven to 12 And it is he, God's spirit, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be, and this is two offices, with the and connects these, it's one office with two parts to it, and he gave some to be pastors and teachers, To prepare God's people for works of service. What is one of my key roles? One of my key roles, and this is why I do it, and I must annoy you, is it's my job to make sure that you do something in church. Really. It's to make sure you're prepared, trained, skilled to do stuff for God. It's why he gave pastors to churches. They are effectively... A pastor is effectively... A team captain who encourages the rest of the team to do stuff. He's not a manager who sits on the sideline like you do in football. Sometimes you have managers who sit on the sideline. He's the captain who's on the field. He's the one who's playing and leading his team into playing. And so, hey, you, your pastor, you should see your pastor do the most menial tasks in the church. I have a lovely couple in the church here, I won't mention their name, that are always trying to relieve me of menial tasks. What I don't understand is, is I have to do those as a demonstration to the congregation of how to to serve. A pastor should be on a roster to clean toilets so that the rest of the congregation don't feel it's beneath them to clean toilets. Yeah. Bless you. You're welcome, Sarah. So, hey, starting with the pastor, there's nothing beneath any one of us and it's the job of pastors to exemplify service. Okay, almost done, almost done, almost done. Where are we? David was lethal with a sling. Let me ask you this question. Why do you think he was lethal with a sling? Because? Yes, Graham. thank you. Simply. What do you think he did for hours and hours on the shepherd field? Yeah, seriously, you can imagine him. Hours, all day long, what do you do? I'm bored. David wasn't bored. (laughs) He, he, He slung the sling, didn't he? And so here's the point. Look, 2 Timothy 2, Paul speaking to speakers. Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, as a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. Hey, keep practicing get a chair. This is your job this week. Get two chairs, okay? And this is where you do all week, ten hours a day. You put it on the seat and you take it off the seat. You put it on the seat and you take it off the seat. Next week when you get here, you'll be the best chair stacker we've ever seen. Okay? Or in the words of Karate Kid, sand on, sand off. Sand on, sand off. All day long. And then you'll be able to do karate, okay? The point—I've oh, lost my notes here. The point is, the point is—I've lost my notes. The point is, the point is. Let me just find my notes. Come back, come back, come back. The point is, uh, what was I talking about? Talking about honing your skills. And the uh, the point is, hone your skills, okay? Get good at it. Here's Paul says to preachers. Preach the word in season and out of season. He's pointing, look Timothy, you're going to be a rubbish preacher if you don't preach all the time. Okay? Preach regularly. And hey, you're going to be rubbish and stuck in chairs if you don't practice. So, practice doing it. And finally, finally, okay, the last thing I want to say. Our work as a relatively small church may seem impossible and it may look like we're up against giants. It's a mammoth work to reach our community, to set this place up and do church with, with a relatively small church. And we can look at it and it can seem too big for us. That's what everybody thought of Goliath. That's what everybody thought of Goliath until David showed them otherwise. And the point is this, is that the work out there and the devil that opposes us isn't as big as we think he is. Remember that story I told you a few weeks ago of a preacher who woke up in the middle of the night and saw the devil sitting at the bottom of his bed and he said to him, oh, it's only you. Turned around, turned over and went back to sleep. It's simply these friends, hey, hey. Those shadows may seem like giants. But they're just shadows. Those enemies, the things we have to do, you know, I've done it sometimes. I'll confess sometimes. You know, coming at seven o'clock on a Saturday or eight o'clock on a Sunday morning to set up, and I'm thinking about my sermon, and I'm thinking, I've got to get this place set up, but I'm still thinking about my sermon. How am I going to get through this this morning because I'm not quite prepared? And then it comes together, doesn't it? And that's the point. Okay? They may seem like giants. You know, the things that we've got to pull up with as a church and do as a church And to be a, a growing, successful church that may seem like out of our control, out of our hands Too big for us, Where is is us But that's just noise They're just shadows And when you stand up and combat them When we move forward, when we get together, hustle together and move forward They're going to topple All those challenges, all those enemies, all those difficulties You watch them topple as we move forward in faith and as we wait on God. Be spirit-filled. As Pam said earlier, wait on God. Think things through. Step out in faith and do great things for God. You're anointed by God. You're equipped by God. And that enemy is nowhere near as big as you imagine he is. Amen. Amen.